Welcome, welcome, welcome to episode number 117 of the Eavesdrop Podcast, award-winning Eavesdrop Podcast. This episode is brought to you by DoorDash, Amazon Music, and Curology. Mr. CEO, Mr. Past President of Nerdist Industries. Is it Nerdist or Nerd Street? Nerdy Street. Nerdist. Nerdist. Nerdist, yeah. But there is a Nerd Street, right? Yeah, Nerd Street's the, the land centers and tournament operators. Ah, yeah. Got it, got it. But we don't we don't do those. We, we do don't. belong to arenas, baby. The, That's the, right. The good the good ones, right? Rolling out. Rolling out. Um Adam, I wanna I wanna start out by introducing you the right way. I wanna start out by letting everybody know you. So we're gonna start with a question that I ask everybody that comes on the podcast, and that is, who are you today? Who am I? Well, uh, I'm a dad. I've got a nine-year-old boy, big video gamer, uh, moved to Dallas recently. Uh, I'm a husband, got a great wife, been together for about 10 years. Uh, crazy. How'd you guys uh, meet? Met in LA through, believe it or not, an agent. Out of CAA. Okay. Uh, connected us through work, and now he uh, owns 10% of my life. Okay. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, I, I am a digital media executive. Sort of been in the entertainment and media space for 20-some-odd years, and I'm sure we'll talk more about it. But, yeah. But, you know, been sort of at this crazy intersection of, of new media and, and entertainment and consumer technology for a long time. Awesome. What, what do you do... On, like I know you have no spare time, but what do you do? And uh, family aside, what is an Adam thing? That you, for example, I like fishing. I like yep. painting, that sort of stuff. What do you do? What is your thing? Me, I like, uh, look, I, when I was younger, I used to play a lot of volleyball. Volleyball was my passion, mm -hmm. right, where I spent every weekend at the beach. Grew up down in Florida um, in the sun, sort of playing ball. And uh, that followed through to a lot of things in my career. Uh, play a lot of video games still. You know, grew up playing video games. What do you play? Uh, right now, I was I was playing Warcraft for a long time. Got yeah. back into it when Classic came out. Sort of old man, old man Warcraft. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, you and Scump will <laughs> should be in the same uh, guild. Is that guild, Matt? Is that what it's called? Yeah, the same guild. Yeah, was doing old man Warcraft for a while. Um, playing Hearthstone a little bit. Playing some Warzone. Uh, for a while, I was living out here. My kid was back in L.A. I moved here from L.A. Uh, about a year ago, mm -hmm. and my kid was back in L.A. and I was here. So we didn't see each other. So yeah. every night we'd uh, we'd play Fortnite, and we'd get on the cameras. And he and I would just play and talk to each other and catch up on the day. Because I don't know if you know what it's like trying to trying to get words out of a kid. Uh -huh. But you know, kids don't really talk too much. Yeah. So we'd be some, playing the some game. Don't. My, my daughter's also an <laughs> introvert, and I don't know. It's I don't know if that's an introvert. It's like too. She's too early. It's just twelve. So I don't know. But she. If if it's us, right? If it's her family, she'll be she'll tell you anything and everything. If it's a stranger, she won't even say hi. Yeah, you know she would. Yep, same same thing. Yeah. So this was a great way for us to stay connected and and just showed kind of the power of games and yeah. sort of bringing people together from around the world. And yeah. It feels like you're next to each other and yeah, yeah. just great. So so tell me about your your uh, your career at Nerdist or where did where do you want to start right like let's start let's start with Florida right like what was what was it like to grow up where you did Florida's a weird place man I mean I'm a Florida man right you know the stories so mm -hmm. I guess that's a strike against me um, yeah. have you fought any alligators alligators <laughs> anacondas 
Saw saw a bunch of alligators growing up. Yeah. Uh, when I grew up, Florida was was spring break capital of the world, right? Okay. Uh, yeah. Fort Lauderdale. Yeah. Where oh I grew yeah. Up. Spring break capital. We had it was like world of wet t shirt contests, and but I was too young for any of this. Yeah. Right. So uh, yeah. By the time I grew up and went off to college, like it had all gotten cleaned up, and none of it was there. And I was like, what the hell, man? This isn't fair. Like I'm finally old enough to do all this yeah. stuff, and it's all gone. Yeah. Um. But it was a, it was a touristy place, and it was kind of a strange place to grow up. I was in the in the eighties. Yeah. right in florida and it was like miami vice Love right it. that was kind of the defining thing of, of florida when i was growing up yep um but left uh left in in early 90s went to the northeast spent the next 10 years in the northeast boston 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 yeah froze my ass off yeah how do you how do you like i i, I also wait what age were you when you moved to boston 17 17 right, so i was 13 when my parents kidnapped me from Ciudad Juarez, Mexico, and they took me to the coldest place on earth, which is Chicago, right? And no business doing there. So how did you cope with that? I didn't. <laughs> I had never seen snow before. Yeah. Never seen snow. I show up in Boston, and I'm a Florida kid, and, and my idea of layering was just get the biggest winter jacket I could possibly find. Yeah. So I had a T-shirt on and a big winter jacket and a pair of shorts, and that was my idea of trying to brace yeah. this, the snow. My first year in Boston, it snowed 14 feet. Oh, my God. <laughs> And I was not prepared. No. I mean, by the time I left, I was kind of a natural at it. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. But I was tired of it. Like it was not. It was not the weather scene for me. Yeah, I for, for me it took one summer here in Texas to sort of be deacclimated from any sort of cold. Period. If it's sixty degrees, I'm I need hoodies immediately. No shorts, hoodies. I'm I'm just. I, I run hot now. Yeah. It, that's what it is, and I'm okay with it. <laughs> Period. Uh, so you were 17, so was that senior year of, college, of high school for you, or were you already out of high school? Yeah, I graduated at 17, went off to Boston, um, and then uh, sort of I started getting into work really early. I worked in college sort of most of my way through college. Um, what uh, what Where'd you go? Uh, I was at Harvard. Okay, Harvard. A Harvard man, everybody. Yeah. <laughs> that's... I would wear a Harvard hat every day. You know, typical party school. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, that's, that's, uh, I, I mean, the, the, the stories that I hear of Harvard, uh, and the movies that I've watched about Harvard, just, it, it just seems like, like, I, I think I missed out on college. Did you go to college, Matt? You did for how long? Three years, Matt, you went to college. Were you campus or you were commuting campus? You partied? Lived in the dorms. Do you do the same thing? You lived in dorms. And yeah, we have the, this. We have this, fun? we have this thing called a house system. Okay. So it, it's it's very Harry Potter esque. You live. Everybody lives in these fr the freshman yard first year, and then you get put into these houses. And the houses have uh, second through fourth years. Yeah. And you compete against each other in in intramural sports, and you have your own dining halls, and you know you sort of have a culture that's based on on that house that you live in for those those other years. But almost everybody lives on campus as part of that system. Okay, and then do you have roommates at this point? Is it? Yep, had roommates. Uh, went through a few different roommates over that period of time. Wait, were you the problem, or what do you mean? <laughs> <laughs> just... I, I could have very well been the problem. Like I said, I'm from Florida, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, what was it? What was it? Uh, so around what? Uh, what? What years are we talking about? Like I, uh, 19, I graduated 90, in '97. '97. Yeah. You graduated Harvard '97. '97. Yeah. Goodwill Hunting was shot while I was yeah. there. Oh, so, yeah. So you know, we actually saw them filming some of that at the, around campus. That's that's uh that's awesome. Um. All right. So you 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 finish college. You get a master's in I'm assuming business. Well, I was an economics and math major. Economics and math yeah. major. Which is I know got all the chicks. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. <laughs> I get it's it. Great. Um. 
And uh, right out of college, I became a management consultant. And and for anybody that doesn't know what that is, yeah, I basically is spent 18 hours a day in Excel and PowerPoint helping companies uh, helping companies with their investment decisions, right? Helping them decide whether they should buy other companies or where they should spend their money or whether, you know, they should make, how they should define their strategies. Yeah. And for me, it was it was not the right move for me. I thought it was gonna be this amazing opportunity and, and I learned a lot, right? There were some skills that have carried with me for the last 30 years, but um, working 18 hour days on subject matters that I wasn't passionate about yeah. was, was not the right, spot for me and i'm sure you've heard this from other people as well it's like you got to be passionate about what you do especially if you're putting in the hours yeah and for me it was i was working on biotech companies and all the respect in the world for people that are in those spaces but for me i was working for biotech companies and i was working for no joke a vacuum cleaner manufacturer where i had to fly out to colorado and help them restructure their sales force and again we need vacuum cleaners they're important yeah i don't know what i'd do without a vacuum cleaner but i didn't want to spend 18 hours a day working on it no 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 um and i got really lucky you know i've had a little bit of a forrest gump kind of career in this way um in 1998 1999 uh, the big epiphany for me was the first MP3 files were starting to go around the internet. Mm. And if you guys remember, this is back in the day where there were MP3 search engines like yeah. host.com and webcrawler and all these other things. LimeWire. Yeah, I mean, some of the, the sharing engines weren't quite there yet. But oh, okay. you, could, you could find MP3 files. And I thought that as, a, as kind of a tech geek, I thought that being able to download MP3 files was the coolest thing ever. Yeah. And as a music fan, I would go to concerts around Boston and I was a big music geek. So when I had free time, I would spend time in Tower Records and Newberry Comics and and go to some of the little local clubs and just listen to small bands. Yeah. And I just thought that MP3 files were going to change the entire music business. Yeah, yeah. And so I went to the consulting company I was at and I said, "We got to sell a project to the music business." I figured if I can't if I can't work on the projects that I'm excited about maybe i can convince the company to start selling yeah. getting projects that i'm interested in yeah, yeah and they said yeah let's sell a project let's do that so they actually successfully sold a project based on this idea yeah and then they wouldn't let me work on it wait why they told me the project was based in la i was in boston and the client wouldn't pay for me to fly out to la so i said i'll go sleep on a friend's couch i'm yeah. I'm, I'm all over this like this is my this is what i want to do and they said nope now it's already staffed and you can't work on it. So I literally quit. Yeah. And I ended up helping start a company that was doing research for the music industry on digital technology. Um, no joke, within three months of me being at that company, I got hired by Universal Music. Universal Music. Yeah, to go to New York and be oh one my, of the- So you're bouncing, you're going from left to right, literally. All of a sudden I'm moving to New York City I'm walking into a 1755 Broadway, which is where Universal Music is, right just north of Times Square. And I walk into this building and there's gold records on the wall and and I'm in the strategy group at Universal trying to help them figure out how to solve the digital music problem. Two months after I'm there, Napster happens. Napster. And I'm caught up in the middle of this digital music yeah. maelstrom. Yeah. Of, nobody knows what's what, going what on. What was it like, like being on the on the music side of that? I mean, obviously, we've seen what it's like on on the on the Napster side because everybody has talked about it and yeah. you know all that. But as as uh, as the owner of the IP, how how do you say how do I get a piece of that? Right? Like, do you do you combat it or do you figure out a way to work it out? Well, you know, look, we spent a lot of time trying to figure it out. The music industry is really complicated. There's a lot of legal issues involved because of the rights, um, because of how the contracts were constructed for the last hundred years. It's been around for so long that yeah. there's all these really archaic contracts that exist in the music business. 
Now, there, there's are smart people in the space, and what we were what we were finding is the way people were incentivized at the top level of the music industry, the heads of those companies, and they were a lot of them were public companies. They were not incentivized to think long term about how to change the industry for the better. Mm-hmm. Right? They're trying to hit their unit numbers. How do I have the next? gold record how do i get the sales how do i get more records into hmv and and tower and whatever else and they weren't thinking well what if i need to take a step back and change the business model and create something like spotify i will tell you that we actually presented a business model to the company that i was at in 1999 that looked almost exactly like what spotify looks like today Mm. it was a subscription-based business model Mm -hmm. where consumers had access to all the music for a certain amount of money per month. Yeah. This was 1999. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we just couldn't get it through because of all the legal issues that were going on. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it would have been, inc- I mean, it's incredibly difficult now, I'm assuming, to figure out, you know, what's one song play worth to someone, right? Like, you know, I pay 9.99, you pay 9.99. Uh, we both listen to rap. I listen to Wu-Tang, you listen, like, you know what I mean? Like, who's who gets what from that one subscription? Is that... Do they track that? Like they do, and, and and now technology is obviously in a place where it's easy to track that. Yeah. Right. But when you think about it, the average person. I mean, you just look at the stats. I mean, not to get too economically sort of nerdy. Please do. On it. Listen, if 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 there's something you need to know about the the eavesdrop <laughs> listeners, is that they want something different. So when they hear, oh well, I'm an influencer here, and I've done this, and I've done that. Like that's cool. But business is like mega important to a lot of these a lot of our watchers and viewers because they too want to learn how to do that so please so so think about it this way if the average person who buys music spends 60 dollars a year buying music back when there were albums and records and if that was the average right so the average person spends 60 dollars a year buying music if you were able to change the business model and say okay everybody just spend five dollars a month buying music then the economics are the same yeah It's the same amount of money coming in. Now it becomes an accounting problem. Mm. Now it becomes how do you actually make sure that the money gets given to the right people for what's being listened to. And what we saw before was a bit of a distortion because the the big top guys were getting paid more because you could only you only had enough money to buy that one album. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? When you're paying twenty bucks for an album, you're buying the Pink Floyd thing or the Taylor Swift thing or whatever it might be. You're not able to sample and try a whole bunch of different things. So if anything, it made the industry a little bit more flat. Mm-hmm. Now, it's true that still the big artists are getting most of the plays and they're getting most of the money, but there's a lot more of that long tail. Yeah. So more people are seeing yeah. more of the pennies, more of the dollars. Yeah. Especially now, right, with the algorithm saying, say, hey, you, li- you listen to Drake, you may also like this dude or this woman or this whatever. So this, like, it, it helps the industry as a whole, I imagine. It's the same way as YouTube, right? Like, if you if you upload a video and then it's on the same theme as Mr. Beast's and it gets recommended, then obviously you get the tail end of uh, of some of that Mr. Beast uh, viewership. Yep, exactly. Which to me is insane to this day. I cannot believe it. <laughs> I cannot believe that there are that many humans that are interested in this one video maker and themes, which is why I fell in love with YouTube to begin with. Period. Anybody in any a carpenter, an electrician, anyone that has anything to offer from an education standpoint or from a entertaining education standpoint is going to make a living on YouTube. It's entirely possible. Yeah, 
more than ever. Well, we found we found niches, right? Mm-hmm. We found niches. There's a lot of people who are who are like you or looking for information like you. It's a power of scale. Yeah. When you can bring people together in an online environment where it's, hey, I there's other people looking for this specific thing that I'm looking for. That's not going to happen in the little town that you're living in. Yeah. But it's going to happen on a scale basis. Yeah. yeah right yeah. across the entire country, across the entire continent, you're going to find the other. 500 people that are looking for that specific thing that you're looking for yep that's that's uh that's crazy all right so you're 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 in new york napster's happening what's going on so so needless to say the music industry did not figure it's it's shit out um it went through a bit of a of a collapse when napster happened and and couldn't get out of its legal issues mm-hmm. and i decided it was a good time for me to take a step back uh and that's when i went off to business school so I spent two years out of the market figuring if the music industry was still there, and don't get me wrong, I love the music industry, still a big music fan, love going to concerts, not as much as I used to now that I got kids. But um, if there was still a music industry to go back to, I'd go back after business school. Mm-hmm. So I ended up going to Philly, went to Wharton, got my MBA in finance, um, enjoyed it, right? There's nothing quite like going back to school after you've been in school. Yeah. Because y- you know what you didn't take advantage of yeah. the first time you were there. I now, say yes if I know, but I don't. So, I'm just so now you're yes. now you're over 21, and you're like, okay, well now I'm back in school, I'm having a good time. Yeah. So had a good time. Uh, 9/11 happened while I was in business school, which was which was awful for for so many people and for the whole country and the world. Um, but during my summer, which ultimately led to my full time job, I spent uh, that at Universal Pictures. Okay. So I ended up making a transition to the film business. Wow. And so you've been entertainment from the beginning for a long, long time. Love it. So the advantage that the film business had, and I ended up in the strategy and business development group at Universal Pictures, went out to LA, is we were, we were ahead of the technology curve, right? So not a lot of people remember this, but bandwidth hasn't always been what bandwidth is now, right? Back in the late 90s, it was just enough that you could download a song in about mm-hmm. five or six minutes. Yeah. In the in early two thousands, you couldn't download a movie if you tried. No. It was an overnight kind of thing. Yeah. Downloading a piece of software was a multi day effort, right? Downloading a game was not really a possible thing back then. Um, so downloading a movie was was almost impossible. So we had the luxury of being able to get ahead of the technology curve um, while we were trying to figure out how technology was going to impact the film business. Yeah. So I spent the next eight years at Universal uh, working on everything that wasn't related to actually making movies. Okay. I was working on converting all the screens around the country from 35 millimeter to digital projection. Yeah. What's the technology for that? How do you make it work? How do you distribute those movies Uh, instead of film prints? What's, you know, what's the standard for that? I was part of the group of all the studios that helped figure that out. Um, I was working on the first deal to, uh, to, to sell movies on iTunes sort of worked with Apple on, on those deals, worked with a bunch of other startups that were selling movies online. Um, we were part of a small group that helped create Hulu. Okay. uses Hulu. Hulu was actually formed by a bunch of the media companies together. So I was part of a small group that helped put Hulu together. Um, a, bu- a bunch of like movie studios and... Yeah, it was formed through Fox and Universal and, and Disney and a joint bunch of... Effort. Joint effort. Joint venture. That's weird. Hulu was a JV. That is so weird. Yeah. I did not know that. How, in 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 a in a world where competition is everything, and I mean that's just the world. Period, for those sort of businesses to say let's do this together is like unheard of. Yeah, it was. Look, we were trying to figure things out uh, early because we saw a lot of these startups that were just uh, 
we didn't want to get it was it was the answer to what Napster had done in mm -hmm. a sense, right? It was the how do we get together and try to solve a problem before it actually becomes a problem? Yeah. Um, and look, Hulu has gone on to do a lot of great things, and now it's a much differently structured than it was then. Um, was part of doing the first deals for Netflix back when it was a DVD company. Yeah. Um, and was part of seeing that evolve into into what it is today. And ultimately, I, I got put in charge of what was called the Digital Platforms Group at Universal, which actually oversaw video games. Okay. So we did not only licensing games, which included things like Riddick, if you ever played yep. uh, played that game. I that never did. played it, but I watched all three of those movies. Yeah, so so we did the, the Riddick game and, and Scarface. We did the Scarface game. And then we also produced some of our own titles, mm -hmm. first party. So we produced a wanted video game based on the Angelina Jolie movie. And, yeah, and watch that one. McElroy. Yep. yep. Um, and that was just a great experience. You know, while I was there, we got acquired a whole bunch of times. Um, media companies tend to get traded around like chess pieces. Mm -hmm. Everybody gets really excited about the idea of owning a media company until they actually understand yeah. what it's like. Yep. So when I started, Universal was owned by Seagram. Then it was owned by uh, Vivendi. Then it was owned by General Electric. When I left, it was owned by Comcast. Yeah. Um, so I left in 2009. 2009. Yeah. Just as Machinima was about to spin up. Yeah. And then what do you do then? 2009, left, and, and uh, the chairman of Universal and I, uh, this is when I took a total segue out of, uh, out of technology. Um, I decided I was tired of working for big companies. Yeah. And, and I, I, I reached a crossroads, speaking of crossroads. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I had my own crossroads. And, uh, you know, to this day, I, I, I don't regret the crossroads because I'm here talking to you. Yeah. And I never would have thought I'd be doing this in my life. Yeah. Um, but I had a crossroads. And one of those crossroads was, uh, was I, I had a conversation with a very senior, senior person. He's still at YouTube to be his partner on building the YouTube channels. Um, I don't know if you remember when they created all the YouTube channels. This is in right around 2009, 2010. All the YouTube channels or the when, networks? When YouTube, the networks. When, okay. YouTube funded, when YouTube funded about 100 channels. Yeah. And they paid for all the content and, yep. and sort of, that's where Nerdist came from. Yeah, got it. Um, I had a chance to join then and be on the ground floor of kind of building that universe of, of YouTube. Or uh, the chairman of Universal uh, offered me a chance to start a film production company. And mm. and I chose I'm, to I, same. I, I chose, would have chose that. I chose. I was like, I was. I can't work for a fifty thousand person company anymore. I just can't do it. I, yeah. I was. I was a number. My my ID card, which I still have, had like a fifteen digit number on it, which was how I identified myself every day. Yeah. And I was like, you know what? I just want to be something small. And and it was me and a partner, and we raised capital, and I got to go through the entire process of how do you start a company from scratch. How do you raise money? How do you incorporate? How do you deal with health insurance for your employees? How do you learn all these things that, look, I went to business school. You don't learn any of this stuff. Uh, when you actually have to go through the process, it was a really amazing experience. Yeah. And then I got to be a movie producer for, for five years. At Lava, Lava Bear Films. Lava Bear Films, yeah. What's the name about? Uh, Lava Bear is a, is a myth from Oregon. Uh, it's it's a story that they tell kids. So my partner is from Oregon, yep. and it's a story that they tell kids because uh, there's a lot of lava fields. I don't know if a lot of people know there's volcanic activity in in Oregon, mm. um, and there's old volcano fields, yeah, and lava fields. So to keep the kids from playing around in the fields, they tell them this this old wives' tale that there's a lava, lava bears. bears. Yeah. Uh, if you go out in lava fields, lava bears leave you. That's a good one. I I wouldn't yeah. go out there. <laughs> uh, all right. So Nerdist uh, comes around. 
Oh no, you started your films, right? So yeah, so I ended up producing, producing movies yeah. and 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 produced uh, any anything notable. Yeah, produced. Uh, I mean, a few films, but the ones that people probably heard of is is. Uh, I, I was executive producer of a movie called The Rover with Guy Pearce and Rob Pattinson yeah. that we shot in the middle of the Outback that was in the Cannes Film Festival. And although I didn't get credited for it, I uh, was executive producer on Arrival uh, with Amy Adams and Jeremy Renner, uh, which was nominated for Best Picture. And, and Arrival? Arrival. Are you kidding yeah. me? Yeah. We get into cool I get it, Once a week I get into a fight with either Maven or with Hutch about why it's the best, most insane movie i've ever watched like everything about it the concept if you guys haven't watched the movie arrival you need to stop right now and you need to go watch. okay finish this and then go watch that uh because it is one of the best scores ever one of the best well thought out futuristic pieces out there that's insane man it was great. Now, look, I was I helped put the financing together. That was my yeah. job, right? Yeah. My job was to how do we get the money for these films yeah. and 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 get them set up. If you know how long it takes to get a film made, by the time that I had left the company, once we got the financing together, and I had gone and, and went over to Nerdist, which was part of Legendary Entertainment. Yeah. So Arrival didn't come out until I think wait, wait, two wait. or three years after I had already left oh the company. Oh my god! Was part of helping set that up. What? That is so sick. Like, th- there's a, a literal fight on Twitter at least once a week <laughs> between Hutch and Maven. Maven doesn't believe that it's one of the best. He thinks, Maven thinks that Interstellar is better than Arrival. Not a chance. Not a chance. Like, I, and, and I love Interstellar, right? It made me feel something. As a father, as a father of a, of, of a, of a daughter, like, it made me feel something. But Arrival is just so thoughtful in it right i'm not saying that interstellar isn't it's just that there's a massive difference between the two and i don't even know how to how to put them in the same category right one is about leaving the planet the other one is about being visited on the planet i don't know i don't want to get into yeah look sometime we should get together and we can chat about making movies yeah we can have an entire podcast about the ins and outs of i think we should but we're gonna have to bring in amanda the jedi right we got to steal her from somewhere she is and Hutch, we gotta bring Hutch too because sure. we need some controversy. And if there's one thing I know about him, is that he likes to argue with people. <laughs> uh, on that note, we're gonna take a quick commercial break. Say hello to the sponsors, and we'll be right back. This week for the umpteenth week, I'm talking about a sponsor that has been a part of the Eavesdrop podcast from the beginning. It is our friends over at DoorDash. And look, when you have back-to-back meetings the way that both Adam and I do all the time, errands to run, there are sometimes situations in which you'll never be able to take advantage of your freedom to be able to cook some dinner. So what are you going to do? How? What are you going to eat? Why don't you take all of your stresses and throw them out the window because you can get a little help from DoorDash, right? You can get dinner, household essentials, and everything on your grocery list delivered, right? Ever pull into the driveway after a trip to the grocery store only to realize that you had forgotten the one ingredient that you actually went to the store to go get? Well, no need for a backup plan. You can call DoorDash and you can have a backup meal from your favorite local restaurant delivered with DoorDash. It's time to get back out there, but if you're not quite ready to do a full-blown adventure, there's still ways to explore the world from the comfort of your home. With DoorDash, you don't need to travel far to experience something new, right? Along with the restaurants that you love, you can also get groceries and other essentials, as I mentioned earlier. Craving late-night ice cream? Forget that one key ingredient for dinner. Uh, With over 300,000 partners, you can support your neighborhood go-tos or choose from your favorite national restaurants like Popeye's, Chipotle, Cheesecake Factory, and, of course, Jack in the Box, which I just found out, and the video will be coming soon. 
delicious. Okay. Ordering is easy and your items will be left safely outside your door when you choose contactless delivery drop-off. For a limited time only, all listeners are getting 25% off and zero delivery fees on their first order of $15 or more when you download the DoorDash application and enter code EAVESDROP. That's E-A-V-E-S-D-R-O-P 2021. EAVESDROP 2021. Uh, that's 25% off. Up to $10 value and zero delivery fees on your first order when you download that DoorDash application from the App Store and enter code EAVESDROP2021. That's E-A-V-E-S-D-R-O-P-2021. Don't forget, that's code EAVESDROP for 25% off your first order with DoorDash. Subject to change, term supply, all the information will be listed in the description down below to make it easier for you to just click on a link and go find us. All right, EAVESDROP2021. For DoorDash, our second sponsor for the day is Amazon Music. And since you're listening to this show, I think it's safe to say that you love listening to podcasts, right? I'm right. Well, you'll find a ton of binge-worthy podcasts, including ours, on Amazon Music. Amazon Music has more than 10 million free podcast episodes to listen to, uh, like listen to hilarious podcast Smart Less one week before everybody else. And ad-free on Amazon Music. The breathtaking true crime podcast, Dr. Death Miracle Man, is available two weeks early on Amazon Music. Wouldn't you guys like to get a an, an episode of, of The Eavesdrop like two weeks in advance? I know I would. I mean, I haven't even created it. Uh, but Amazon Music isn't just for listening podcasts. They have thousands of free music stations and top playlists to stream for free. And no matter what you're listening to, you can go hands-free with Alexa. Alexa, please stop. I knew that that was going to happen. You, I had to wait for Alexa to stop giving me the news. I said her name again. As I was saying before, I was interrupted by our friend over there. Uh, with Amazon Music Unlimited, you can listen to any song anywhere offline with unlimited skips. Right? We use it at the house, right? Any Anytime Jude is, is doing Christmas decorations, she says the name and then says play Christmas music, et cetera, et cetera. You, you guys know how it works. Uh, if you've never tried Amazon Music Unlimited, now is a great time. For a limited time, our new customers can try Amazon Music Unlimited for free. Three months for free. No credit card required. Just go to Amazon.com slash eavesdrop. That's E-A-V-E-S-D-R-O-P. That's Amazon.com slash eavesdrop. Try Amazon Music Unlimited free for three months. Again, Amazon.com slash eavesdrop. It renews automatically. Cancel anytime. Term supply and the link will be in the description down below to make it super easy for you to be hands-free and listen to anything that you want. All right. Last but certainly not least, and this one I obviously believe in, right? Look, as you guys know, I talk about skincare like all the time. I talk about hair products all the time. Why? I don't know. Okay, I just like to be presentable, and this is one of the ways that I do so. Every single time that I go wash my hands, I happen to wash my face also, right? Guys, if you want ultra-easy skincare that's actually made for your skin, Curology is the way to go. You'll get a custom prescription cream made for you by a dermatology provider for your specific goals, whether that's tackling acne, clogged pores, skin texture, dark spots, fine lines, or something else. You start by taking a short online skin quiz, and it's a good fit. They'll ship you your formula right to your door. Get started with Curology just like I did with a free 30-day trial, Curology.com slash hex. That's H3CZ. Just pays $5 for shipping and handling. That is C-U-R-O-L-O-G-Y.com slash H3CC to start your first 30-day trial. Cancel anytime. Prescription subject to a consultation. They sit you down with a skincare 
professional that can formulate something specific for you. They'll ask you what you want to work on, whether it's wrinkles, whether it's dark spots, whether it's sunburns, you name it, they will be able to formulate something specifically for you. So one last time, just so you guys don't miss it, it is C-U-R-O-L-O-G-Y.com slash hacks, H3CC, to start your first 30-day trial for free. Thank you so much for sponsoring the podcast, Curology. We'll see you next week. So huge shout out to the sponsors. Thank you so much. All right. So when when uh, when you leave, you you left right. No, three or arrival comes out three years after you had already left. Yep. At this point, you're doing what? So so I got a call from a one of the, when I was at at a Universal, I got to meet a, a gentleman named Thomas Tull. Okay. Thomas Tull was the founder of Legendary Entertainment. You might know them from uh, uh, Hangover 300, Batman. Jurassic World, yeah. right? Sort it's of the one. It's it's the intro with the little the the Celtic knot. Yeah, the Celtic. Yeah, yeah. There you go. And uh, I had a bunch of friends at Legendary, and they had recently acquired a little company called Nerdist. Mm. Nerdist was started by Chris Hardwick, um, who was uh, co-host with Jenny McCarthy on Singled Out and um, stand-up comedian. And uh, they asked if I would come over and help them figure out how to build Nerdist into more of a media company. Mm-hmm. And I, what was it then? What was it then? Well, it was a YouTube channel. Yeah. And it, and a great podcast. Speaking yeah. of podcasts, yeah. you know, Nerdist, the Nerdist podcast was one of the top podcasts in the country because yeah. Chris had started it in the early days of the podcasting business. Yeah. Um, and I came over and it was this, this pretty small operation. It had about 15 people and didn't really have much of a revenue structure and couldn't really figure out what to do because YouTube had just stopped funding all of those channels. Mm-hmm. And so now they had to figure out how to make their own way. Yeah. And you saw this right around that period of time, 2010. Um, and one of the first things we did when we got there is we said, okay, well, what are some of the other channels that we can go after and, and scale up a little bit? Mm-hmm. So we acquired two other channels during that period of time. We acquired uh, Geek and Sundry, which was Felicia Day's channel, known for the Guild. Mm-hmm. Um, and we acquired Amy Poehler's Smart Girls, mm-hmm. which was Amy Channel's channel, uh, YouTube channel focused on sort of female empowerment. Yeah. Um, and we put them all together into something that we called Legendary Digital Networks. And it wasn't really an MCN, right? Because Machinima was starting to go down that path and full screen was starting to come out. And, and there was that path, which was focused on more YouTube creator yeah, channels. Yeah. These were the first real brand, it was a branded channel network. Yeah. So we were creating slates of programming within those channels. Got it. Just to be clear, it was, uh, uh, who did you just say? It was Machinima and who else? Uh, full, full screen. screen. So for the record, full screen was the first one to do that. Machinima then had to do that after. So the multi-channel network was started, in my opinion, in gaming specifically, was with uh, with with full screen, and then Machinima had to make a decision: lose optic or start a multi-channel network. The rest is history. Yep, yep. And Maker was was kind of doing Studios, their thing yeah. too. Oh my god, yeah. It was Maker, not full screen. It was Maker Studios. Maker Studios had the Game Station. Yep. The Game Station is what put the pressure on Machinima to, to do the thing, and then Papa came in and said, "We're leaving," <laughs> and then that's what happened. So, so, so we built out a, a sales team. Uh, we built out a whole production infrastructure. We moved to a new space where we had a three thousand foot soundstage, forty foot ceilings. Um, we built a whole production studio that had capabilities. Uh, like you wouldn't even believe for for the size of the company that we are, we ran big events down at, at uh, South by Southwest, down at San Diego Comic Con. Um, 
we just kept growing the audience because we saw that the fans were starting to pay more attention to these channels, these mm -hmm. people watching us on Facebook and YouTube and, and Twitch was just starting to be a thing. The idea of, of streamers wasn't really a popular thing to do yet. There were some people starting to stream, but it wasn't anything like it is today. Mm -hmm. And we were one of the first channels to actually start a programmed Twitch channel. Mm -hmm. So we, on Geek and Sundry, we launched a, we, we programmed about four hours a day of content. Yeah. And Felicia would stream a little bit and we'd play games and we'd interact with the audience. And one of the shows that, that was generated out of that was Critical Role. Mm, it was just featured on ESPN this morning. It was, it was. Um, and Critical Role, uh, I got to be part of the ground floor of that getting created. Uh, they shot right out of my office for, I want to say the first three and a half, four years of their existence. Jesus. Every week. Yeah. Um, I got to watch their popularity basically from nothing to, you know, where they were the most popular channel on, on Twitch. And it was pretty exciting to me, you know, about a couple months ago when there was that leak about the top channels on Twitch because I had been running around even over the last year. Yeah. I was like, you guys know the top channel on Twitch is Critical Role and everybody's yeah. telling me it's something else, something yeah, else. Yeah, I'm yeah. like, no, I'm pretty sure that these guys, I saw it, I saw the numbers coming in and yeah, I was yeah, like, yeah. there's just no way that, that anything's beaten this. And then the numbers come out and it's, yeah. it's actually And there. sure enough, it yeah. was that. <laughs> Damn, that's crazy. They're an amazing organization. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm happy. I'm happy to hear this story because it, it, it truly paints a picture of how involved you've been in certain stages of what we know now today as, you know, YouTube, Twitch, gaming, entertainment as it stands today. Um, <clears throat> you know, um, once once you get through all of these, these, these uh, sort of passion-driven projects because, you know, you quitting when they didn't, you know, help – you quitting when they didn't help you get to where you helped them get and that 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 shows to me that you you know you're you're a passion oriented dude how did you end up at envy or just you know the the gaming sector in esports specifically yeah so so i left legendary in 2019 legendary had been sold and, and was going through a few changes and it was time for me to again make a move because i just didn't feel like i wasn't as passionate about it anymore mm -hmm. as i was um and I was trying to figure out what to do next. You know, I, I had had a decent amount of success. I really still couldn't wrap my head around going back to some big company. I talked to all the big guys out in L.A. The landscape has been changing in for media and entertainment. You know, looking at when, when I was growing up and really thinking about going into this space, the idea someday of being the head of a studio, right, like a Michael Eisner or mm -hmm. something, was, was exciting, right? It was like this is somebody who gets to really have say and power and, and – yeah and 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 have their voice heard and now you look at what's going on in the media entertainment space and almost all these big companies are owned by a bigger company and so at a certain level you're middle management like your job is to hit numbers mm -hmm. and and deliver mm -hmm. on results yeah. and it's not quite as innovative and for me it's always been about innovation and and thinking about what comes next right i think the reason i love playing games um and i was a big when i was a kid i was more into sort of strategy games and, and rts and um and I like solving problems. I like solving puzzles. I yeah. like trying to figure out answers to things that don't have perfect information. And so when I was looking around at the next thing and I got a call about Envy, and I had spent some time really looking at esports already, mm -hmm. and, and 
I had uh, I had worked a little bit with a startup down in San Diego that was trying to put together a uh, it's like the LinkedIn for for esports, trying to help people co- uh, collect all their data together. Um, so I had started to learn a little bit more about the esports universe. So I got a call about this job, and I started thinking about it more with my wife. And I said, you know, this could be the perfect intersection of everything that that I get excited about, mm-hmm. right? It's it's a media and entertainment space. Uh, it's sports, right? And we can go back to, you know, one of the things I didn't mention is is during this period of time, I was a I was the chairman of the board of USA Volleyball. Oh, so I spent six years uh, with USA Volleyball um, and the Olympic team. And you know, sort Paige of has a retired sport. jersey. I did not know that for volleyball. I, I I'll go talk to her about it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm still passionate about sports, passionate about games, passionate about entertainment and content, and this started to feel like this was going to be home and a natural fit for for what I like to do. Now that didn't mean that it would be the perfect job. Yeah, yeah, of course. Right. It wasn't until I started meeting Mike and started talking to the investors and starting to meet the other people involved with Envy that I felt like this was the perfect opportunity for me to come in and really mm-hmm. feel like I, not only I could make a difference, but, but you know, where I could enjoy getting to know everybody and have a, um, and, and just really build something together with a good team. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's where I've been. So a year and a half ago in the middle of COVID, the inter- the whole interview process for this, by the way, was totally effed up. Yeah. Right. You know, no offense to everybody <laughs> no, involved no, with the no, company, no. but I had my first interview for this job in March of, of 2020. Okay. This was, if anybody remembers that, that week, that was basically the week that the whole country got told, go home. Yeah. Um, so I had my first interview in person and then it was, it's like, this is never going to happen. We're, we're living now in quarantine pandemic. Everybody's got to wear gloves and masks and yeah. has to put their cereal box in, in the washer dryer in order, <laughs> in order to eat it, right? Yeah, I, th- I didn't hear that part. <laughs> what was that? Was that a like the cereal box? Yeah, it was like you got to like, you know, wash down all of your food with like, you know, like everything, right? Everything what? was like. Did you hear about that, Matt? You don't remember back in the early days of COVID? It was like, every, you know. In the washing machine? Well, no. But no, it was but... like fill your sink up and like oh, wash down yeah, everything. Yeah, and yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Anyway, because we didn't know anything. It was yeah. like 2020 hindsight. Anyway, the rest of my interview process was done completely through Zoom, which Zoom wasn't what it is now. It was like the idea of using Zoom was like, yeah. okay, I think I know how to use this system. But but is it not, isn't, isn't it better now though? Like the, the, our meetings now easier because of zoom you get to have a face-to-face conversation with people like all over. I, I think that one of the good things that came out of that scenario was uh the the way that that businesses and business people communicate through through their laptops personally don't yes. get me wrong like you i also believe that being in the same room is way better right but i think that this like i don't know i think it changed the game a little bit i think, I, I think it has for sure I think the idea of not being able to see somebody face to face when you've got to make important decisions or really get an answer yeah. on something is is gone. Right yeah. now, you're, there's an expectation that you can see somebody and, and yeah. talk to them about yeah. something important. Yep. Um, but innovation is still very difficult to do in a two dimensional space, in my opinion. Yeah. Maybe maybe the metaverse will fix that. Yeah. Um, so uh, so the rest of the interview is done by Zoom, and I no joke, I moved to Dallas. I left my family in LA yeah. and I moved to Dallas having never met a single person from Envy in yeah. person. Yeah. That's a leap of faith, man. I showed up at the office in uh in July of twenty twenty, uh, met Jake, our CFO, 
at the at the garage door and, yeah. and that the rest is history yeah. yeah what a man jay shout out to jake <laughs> jay money shout out to jay money so what is uh what was like you i mean obviously you you you've kept your 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 finger on the pulse on, on gaming and, and esports you saw that, that that esports was becoming a thing or you whether you saw it or not you knew that it was there what was your experience like immediately not just being a part of esports but being a part of esports at that level of an organization in the totem pole of organizations yeah, I mean, it was it was a real trial by fire, right? It was trying to absorb history, right? And one of the things that I think about a lot for any profession is to be successful, you not only have to understand where things are heading, but you have to have a certain understanding of every place things have been, right? If you're not willing to understand history at a certain level, then you have no chance of being successful going forward because you'll either make mistakes that were done previously or you'll just waste a lot of time or you know you'll rub somebody the wrong way that you shouldn't be um or you won't know who the right players are there's just there's so much that you yeah. need to learn so you know for me the the first few months were calling everybody that i could had any sort of relationship or connection with to just start getting connected with the space now there were some people that i i knew mm -hmm. um from other lines of business because there are more and more people coming into this area so called all of them got a lay of the land from as, as high a level as i could um but it was uh it was it was sobering right to get inside and really see how these operations work and and really understand that there are so many differences between all of the organizations right and what is i think the biggest thing for me when I got here was understanding that the word esports doesn't really mean I don't want to say it doesn't mean anything mm -hmm. but it means so many different things yeah that it's up to every organization and everybody that's participating to kind of define mm -hmm. their place in it or their part of it for themselves yeah and so for I'd say my first six months at the company it was trying to define that for envy okay it was it was figuring out where do we fit in this landscape and how do we actually navigate a path to the future, this future that you know I had an, starting to have an idea of where it could be over the next five years, and how do we navigate our way there without hopefully falling off a cliff or running into any pit, pit, pit holes? Yeah, man, I I, I tell you, <clears throat> haven't haven't been doing this for so long. From the very beginning, I I I th I thought that this what we're about to jump into is too much of a mature thing for people who don't have the business backgrounds to operate. And we've seen it over the last decade. People have come in and tried to do the esports thing and have failed, and not because they are of, of lack of resources, not because of lack of wants, not because of lack of passion, but it's just such a I don't want to say politically driven um, space, but there is a lot of politics involved in esports, right? It's yeah. just, it's just. I'm, I'm sure that it's the same way in the NFL. I'm sure it's the same way in the NBA. You know, I'm, I'm sure that these owners get along, these owners don't get along. Somebody took a player from another one. Somebody caught someone slipping, et cetera, et cetera. Right. So I, I can't. I, I commend you one for for being able to 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 take those lumps in the beginning because it, it couldn't have been easy, right? Like you're you're, you're dealing with a a space that already has a very niche culture and that they think that they are a-list celebrities already because they're a-list <laughs> celebrities in that space right but in the grand scheme of things working in the moving industry <clears throat> working in the moving industry 
moving working in the movie industry working in uh, in the music industry like you truly understand like the the the, the what true the like, big entertainment is and you see that gaming is going to get there one way or another is going to get there i mean gaming as a whole already there esports is the one that's that's trying to catch up to to all of that but with that you have your superstars that could be considered you know celebrities for right? sure um so props on, on on being able to do that because I'll tell you one thing about esports. As much as people say that it's a welcoming community, it's not. <laughs> Everybody's always looking over their shoulders trying to say who's going to take my job or who's going to do this, who's and it's so sometimes petty that it rubs people the wrong way that are coming into it. So, um did you experience any friction coming in? And you don't have to say names, I'm just yeah. <laughs> Yeah, look, I, I wouldn't say that there's been any friction. I, I'd say what there, there's mostly been is a lack of interest in collaboration. Mm -hmm. um, I wish that there was more. Okay. Right? It, it's, I, I wish that more people would realize that the pie is getting bigger. Yeah. And the faster that some organizations can work together to figure some of these things out, the way that the studios work together to get Hulu built. Yeah. There are things that can best be done by some of the bigger groups creating things yeah. and unifying things um, or, or you know, just working together on, on standardization of certain things that if we just let somebody else do it, they're going to eat, eat our lunch mm. on it. doesn't mean that, that we won't participate, yeah, yeah. but you know, the difference between us getting 5% of something or taking 50% of something is just sitting there. Yeah. And right now, so it feels like that, that's been the biggest difference, right? Yeah. I'll, call, I'll call up a group and I'll say, hey, here's an area that, that I think there's potential for us to work together on. And I'll get met with either just kind of silence or, yeah, we'd love to do that if you can actually figure out how to get four other groups to, yeah. to have yeah. a call about it. I think, I think the problem with situations like that is like, who's going to do the work, yeah. right? Because as much as you say we're gonna split this, <laughs> like it's not gonna get split evenly, right? Someone's gonna be like, "Dude, I got I got this other thing going on," and so I I, I think that's a, that's a uh, that's a good problem to solve if you're able to do that. I think that I I, I agree a hundred percent. Collaborative efforts have not even seen the light of day ever. I think, um, I mean, I just I just don't don't remember a time. I, I think, uh, what was it? The 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 Counter Strike league or or committee that was formed here in the in north america what was that called not es not wesg so wesg was one of them mm -hmm. the one from here was called something the pea the professional esports association here like they th there's been attempts on that with very smart people behind there but again it always falls down to the who's doing what who's who's taking the brunt of the work yeah who's paying for what that's where people tend to disagree on everything. And no matter how many committees you put together, no matter how many uh, you know, people you put in charge of, of certain things, it's never going to be an eye-to-eye -eye thing because you know, someone's getting more attention than the other and one gets more jealous. Of it. So it's, you know, if, 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 if someone was ever to be able to pull something like that off, the benefits, like you said, maybe not eat the whole lunch, but a, a, large, a large portion of it. Yeah, I, I mean, I think there will be opportunities, right? I think if, if, if some... If some groups can put together some interesting plans and then already have it baked at, at a certain level, yep. bring it around, there might be some opportunities. Got it. Where where do you see where do you see the biggest growth opportunities in esports are? And don't be afraid to say them because as much as people listen and as much <laughs> as our opponents or peers or whatever listen, like no, some people are gonna try to execute, but it's all about like the 
the the freedom and the ability to be fluid enough to be able to execute so you're not giving anybody ideas because everybody has them in theory it's the execution of it that's always going to be the defining factor so what do you think what do you think where i think the biggest opportunities are well look i don't i i think that i don't think enough people recognize the power and strength that will be coming within esports organizations Mm -hmm. right as media and entertainment companies yeah um, as purveyors of, of um, engaged and engaged audience. Um, the opportunities are, we have to understand what it is that we're good at, mm-hmm. right? Most of us are not going to build a platform like Roblox mm-hmm. or like Twitch mm-hmm. or Facebook for that matter. But we have these, this enormous and amazingly gr- great group of, of, of fans and um, supporters that want to connect with us which means that we actually have some leverage with those platforms and to me the opportunities are are really going to be how do we bring our audience into those platforms in various ways not to get into i I, look it's been a month and the metaverse word is is massively overused but the idea that what we can do is is i think what we are is the big connector between these new platforms that will exist and the fan base and the audience. Mm-hmm. Um, we will be able to actually create those experiences, right? But, you know, having a, having a, having the American Airlines Center, having Staples Center without having a concert to go to mm-hmm. is not interesting. No. But a lot of companies are building the American Airlines Center, yeah. right? They're building platforms, right? Roblox without people de- developing games to be in Roblox is not interesting. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm not saying we should be a developer of games inside of Roblox. Yeah. But we can create the experience inside of that. We can create the Lollapalooza. Yeah. Right. We can create something that, that makes that exciting. So we're, we're, what gets me excited about where we're heading with this is the ability to, to just be out of the box and create new opportunities and new engagement experiences for, for our audience mm-hmm. that brings them closer to us and our yeah. creators yeah. and our players. Um, and and bring it into these other worlds that they might already be going to right you know i I look i look back at the days of you know some of us used to go to websites right it was like oh i want to read an article i'll go to that website you know i want to uh i want to read a magazine i'll go to the website of that magazine well the idea of going somewhere is is kind of gone now you go you go where you go yeah right i spend time on twitter i spend time on tiktok i spend time on facebook like that's where i spend my time if i can bring my audience and still participate with them on those things that's where it starts to get exciting i agree dude listen i I think we can sit here and this this won't be the last time that you're here on this I, i i would hope um there's there's lots to talk about futuristic more than anything cool stuff uh coming down the road uh i want to thank you obviously for coming on uh so far so good having a good time yeah Um, yeah, in the optic look i I mean we didn't talk about it very much i mean i can't even tell you speaking of like forrest gump moments the idea that that you know a bunch of years ago i went one year i went from being a management consultant to going to the grammys and here i am a year from coming into esports and being partners with you I mean, it's it's pinch me, right? Yeah. It's like I can't believe where we are now, and I really can't believe what we're going to do over the next couple of years together. Me so. either, man. It's uh, I'm as excited as you are, and we talk about this obviously offline, but it is 
it is it's go time you know like For sure. it's it's pedal to the metal go time and i love the fact that we're gonna have a good time doing it right i i think that i have had enough um enough stresses in my life to be like yeah this is good you know like this feels so good personally uh so looking forward to it uh looking forward to innovating with you looking forward to uh seeing what asses we're gonna kick in the future and uh happy to be doing it with you let's do it next time let's do a, a podcast you me stro and then really get into the nitty-gritty of things love to and uh and have some fun guys if you guys have any questions uh description down below his information in the description down below or comment section down below description section down below and we'll see you guys next time again huge shout out to uh to DoorDash, Amazon, and Curology for sponsoring the podcast. Hope to see you guys again soon. Maddie, you know what?